You're listening to Out Here, a podcast about building a life, a community, and relationships at the end of the road in McCarthy, Alaska. I'm Erin McKinstry. On this episode, we'll take a look at where we've come from and where we might be going. When people come from structured society and then they're hugely liberated by the feeling of being here and having their own land and building their own house. I can't say that I've actually ever felt that because my life is like being born on the finish line, you know. My life has no journey, has no beginning and end. It's just I was born here and I'm and I'm here. I have nowhere to go. Nothing to strive for except for making this existence more than what it is. That's because Martin was born in McCarthy, unlike 99% of the residents. But for most of us, there's been a bit more of a journey, including the town itself. This place started in the Stone Age, and then it kind of passed me up. I'm still in the Stone Age in a lot of ways. When I first came out here, there was no communication. There was no road. There was no phones. And then living today, where we have instant gratification with internet service, phones. I think it's probably partly why McCarthy's grown too, is that we have the ability to do that. Some people, if we didn't have that, I don't think would live here. On episode seven, change. as a boomtown. At one point, it, it was way busier than it is now with the, all the stores and... The golden age of this place that we're living now was a hundred years ago. They built this railroad through a very rugged and inhospitable landscape just to get that copper ore out of here. And then it busted. It was a ghost town. A few people came to live an older way of life. There was no road to McCarthy then. It was moving into old time Alaska. I didn't have a snow machine or chainsaw, so I got my wood with an ax or a swede saw, and I had two man crosscut. Everything I did was on foot. But progress called. First came the road. It had a railroad grade already, so the route was established. All they were having to do to build the road was remove all the rails rebuild bridges across, and I was very opposed to the road. I circulated a petition to every last person that lived in the country on this side of the Copper River to the Canadian border on the southern wrangles. Uh, I did it by on skis in the winter and and on foot in the summer. Well, except one person, he said. And then the park, which drew its own fair share of controversy, particularly among hunting guides like Gary. And it didn't take me very long to realize that there was more promotion and development in the land when it became a national park than there ever was when it was just wasn't designated. I know in the long run, if you're looking at 100 years down the road and all that, protecting the land maybe does help it to receive less development. But... 
for the first 20, 30 years, it was a lot more activity, people, construction, because it became a park, which destroys the wilderness qualities. And the park drew people in. The McCarthy Lodge was open one day a week on mail day to get hamburgers. Yeah, yeah, they'd open if someone came and wanted to rent a room. But there wasn't tourism to speak of. Uh, And then slowly it started growing. You know, people recognized that we were in a park now, you know, and that that attractiveness of being in the largest national park was going to induce people to come here even without you advertising. Land came up for sale or large plots were subdivided. And the National Park Service bought the historic buildings in Kennecott and started fixing them up. When I got here, there was a primarily a group of people that lived here in the winter. And in the summer, they did different things. Some of them went out, you know, they were pilots or whatever they did, fishermen, or, and they would go out and work in the summer and then come back and spend the winter here. And now that the Park Service has taken over Kennecott, there's work here, and tourism has increased too. So there's work here in the summer. The summer population is big, and as soon as it snows, everybody's gone. And that's partly because the Park Service hires locally. Now there's a a million dollars a year that flow into the community as wages. And then there's growth aside from that. You know, there's growth of the businesses that do more because more people come. And the Department of Transportation improved the road and started winter maintenance, which meant more tourism in the summer and more coming and going in the winter. Less hunkering down and less isolation. You know, back in the day when the real timers were here, there was zero maintenance of any kind, which means it was just continuous potholes. There weren't bad sections of the whole thing. Once they started maintaining the road, um, you get a lot more summer residents in McCarthy. And most people switched from dogs to snow machines. When they first started plowing the road, and certain times of the year before the glaciers start, it made it like a smooth highway with a berm, and people would go way too fast. I would be out there with my dogs, and when you have a pickup going 45 miles an hour coming toward you, There's not a lot of time to make a decision about which side of the road you're going to be on. And I just couldn't bear the thought of a tragedy. And then came the bridge wars. The bridge issues were one, a time period when there was a lot of challenge. When you change access, it changes the face of the community. The easier it is to get here, the more people come. And the more people come, the more exposure there is. And the more exposure there is, the more change that happens. Historically, there was a train bridge. It was a a railroad. In the late 70s, the state put in a tram over the Kennecott. So when I first came out here, you'd drive down the road, you'd take a, a little tram, a little cable car, and pull yourself across the river. It's a raging torrent of river, kill you dead. Before those bridges, it was the tram system, two tram systems. And then as I live right in downtown, a lot of people give me the, wow, is it hard to live with all the hustle and bustle? But 35 years ago, 
the last thing I wanted to do was go farther out when the, I had to cross two trams with a two-year-old and groceries and you're crossing the river with a tram. And you couldn't get a vehicle across the hand tram, obviously. You could drive over the ice sometimes of the year. Randy, at the beginning and end of the season, he would create this temporary bridge across the Kennecott River with some flatbed trucks or something. And it would cost, I believe it was $100 a vehicle. If you didn't have the nerve, he would drive it for you, I think for an extra charge, which I would have certainly paid him to drive. <laughs> so but it was very expensive and sketchy, you know. The hand tram needed to be replaced and so started a debate. We could have built another tram, but with so many people coming in, that tram was getting backed up like 50, 60 people on the 4th of July on either end to cross. So it was at that moment where it's like, should we build another one? And everybody's like, another tram, more tram, no more, no access. It's like we could choose how we want our environment to change is what it was. And that was a big thing for a lot of people out here, that we have the ability to dictate how this place is going to grow. A lot of educated people saying this is like a utopia because you don't get a place like this in America that is so fresh. And the community is not quite a community yet. So you have the ability as a community member to have input on how you want it to grow. People fought it that we're going to have the uh, trams forever. We don't want traffic in here. Anybody like who lived on the west side were like, make a bridge. Yeah, of course. Like, come on. Then you've got all the people who are living in McCarthy saying, no, we don't want vehicles here. And the happy medium became a footbridge. With that footbridge, the state can't make something that's only three feet wide. Originally, in those days, before they finally got serious about putting the restrictors on the bridge, you could drive a vehicle across the bridge if it was a skinny enough vehicle. Like a little Datsun pickup would just fit. <laughs> I mean, you got to be prepared to scrape the sides, obviously, you know. And of course, the state had a fit because it wasn't supposed to, it was supposed to be this pedestrians only. What it was, was they had two bollards on either end. And those became known as the bollard wars. And so you've got the access-oriented anarchists saying they shouldn't be there. Let us drive our four-wheelers across. And with that, they would take them down. The state put them up like four times. And people would go out there with a cutting torch and trucks and pull them down. And then they, people would drive back and forth. Nobody figured out who was cutting them down. We all have a good idea, but nobody really knows. The state never found out. Finally, the state said, screw this. And they put those neck downs in there. And essentially, it got down to the fight of neck downs, no cars, only four-wheelers could get through, and they did. And that's what it's been. With it came an expectation of more services from visitors and people living here who wouldn't otherwise. When they crossed the river on the tram, they knew they were in the wilderness. They didn't have to have a flushing toilet. They were happy with an outhouse. 
now there's been a shift, there's nothing really there to get them into that mindset. But for some, there was still one more obstacle. Where we live, you get through McCarthy, there's another, another river called the McCarthy Creek, even though it's really a river. And over that, we just built different log bridges over the years. Some of them are two cottonwoods nailed together at an angle laid across the channel. One was a nice plywood bridge. Um, I've fallen off the bridge a couple times. I pushed my first wood stove across the plywood bridge inch by inch. There were these log bridges that, that kept getting washed out and rebuilt, and these bridges were like, just walking across the thing was a little iffy. Uh, when the creek get low enough, I'd drive through it with my Toyota truck to get water, you know, four wheeling through the creek. It's pretty fun. So I had three vehicles. I'd drive the McCarthy Road. I'd park. I'd walk across the footbridge to another vehicle. They'd get me through McCarthy. Then I had the, the log bridge over McCarthy Creek to get to that side to get to my cabin. It was like that type of deal. And then came another set of bridges. Well, the Roland family, Keith Roland, he, um, he got out here and he's a contractor and a builder type guy, heavy equipment operator. Bought land on both sides of the Kennecott and built a bridge over the Kennecott River. He got a state permit, had it engineered and done. He took basically railroad cars and welded them together with a couple of big pilings and built a bridge over the Kennecott you can drive a tractor trailer over. And he charges an annual fee for that bridge. Pretty revolutionary for the residents and the businesses out here. And then he went and built another one just like that one over McCarthy Creek. So all of a sudden I went from having this like ordeal of taking hours of shuttling equipment and vehicles to like, I have two keys. I pull up to a bridge, I unlock it, I drive through it. I drive through McCarthy, I unlock a bridge, I drive over that one. Boom. Here's David Rowland, Keith's son. I would have been about 12, 12 to 14, I believe. We actually built two of them. The Kennecott was the first one. And then a year or two later, we built McCarthy Creek. And I, got, I was helping on both of them, operating equipment with the big steel. The big rail cars, they're heavy. It's helped us be able to do work on both sides of the river much easier, and that was our original intent for the bridge, was to provide ourselves access to both sides of the river for work. But then other people, such as locals, also wanted to use it to provide access for themselves. So it kind of helps both us and the other locals. And essentially that's been a huge demographic change for everybody, myself included. I buy the pass. It helps us with the restaurant. And as a as a resident on the McCarthy side, yeah, I was definitely first year it happened, you betcha. After 28 years of taking and parking my car on the other side of the river and walking everything across or having another truck on this side or everything, it was that much easier. Being able to drive to the side of the river changed things a lot. Reducing the need to be able to try and do it on your own, to figure a certain things out on your own, and even to have to rely on your friends and neighbors. In the summer, I can drive my truck right to my door. And that was one of the big reasons I sold my university cabin was when I bought that land, there was no bridges. And that land was remote. People were like, oh, it's too remote. I can't live over there. It's too far away. And it was. It was a pain in the ass to get to. And the five years I had that place and built my house, the bridges went in and the phone network went in. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm in the, sub I'm in the suburbs now. I think that bridge was built before 
I bought the property. I don't know if I would have bought it if the access was a skeezy log bridge. The road from MacArthur Creek up to the university had grass growing down the middle of it. Now it's been bladed, it's got culverts, it's two lanes wide. I'm passing Toyotas and Subarus and big trucks. I don't even know who these people are. They didn't even stop to wave me. They bought land in paradise. They're building their vacation home for the weekend. I don't know them, they don't know me. They just brrrr, driving by in their big truck. I'm like, hmm. It didn't used to be like that. It used to be we'd all shuttle stuff up together. You know, if I drive into town, I can find a place to park it somewhere. But if anybody could drive out here from Anchorage or wherever and just drive a vehicle into McCarthy, it would be a horror show because there'd be no place for them to park. It would just be a nightmare. So I'm kind of of two minds, though, about the, the bridges. I, I'm kind of glad there's not a public bridge, but I'm not real crazy about the idea that access is controlled by private individuals, you know, who could withdraw that access if they wanted to. Private individuals brought all kinds of services, gas, heavy equipment, road maintenance, propane. So people had to rely on their own resources less. They no longer had to plan as much or do without. They could have more modern things and also more waste. Eventually, trash service would come. there were changes in communication. We used to have to go to Chitna just to make phone calls. So, used to write a lot more letters. <laughs> My mother used to, I used to buy cameras, take pictures and send them to her in Texas. And she would develop them and then get more than one print and send prints back to me so I could see the pictures I took and she could see them. She couldn't get a hold of us in any way except caribou clatters. It's a really old messaging system that I think they still have where you just call the radio station and leave a message and then they will play that message on the radio. When I first got out here, we didn't even have cell phones. There was a public phone on the street and uh, that, was, that was the only way I had of communicating with anybody outside of the valley. And in a way, those, those were great times. It, it simplified things, makes you more productive with your time. When everybody got internet, sort of everything changed, the things people talked about. Going from no communications at all to where we had mail service once a week, weather permitting, and just a few people meet in the mail plane and, uh, and no Amazon Prime boxes. <laughs> You just, you lived differently then, and it was a different quality of life. I'm not gonna say it was better, or it was just different, but it was uh, definitely more removed from the rest of the world. People could look up what they didn't know on YouTube instead of asking their neighbor. They could work remotely instead of leaving or living frugally. There's just so much communication when somebody finds a place like McCarthy. It's not like writing a letter, letter or calling home. You know, nowadays you can post pictures. You can say, hey, yo, out here in McCarthy, you're loving what I'm doing, you know, this and that. With ease, access, and exposure came more summertime residents. 
there's there's cabins and and properties going up left and right like mushrooms around here right now. There's more driveways, there's more cabins, there's more businesses, there's more people coming out in the summertime to visit. And more vacation homes. Vacation homes that you would find in many National Park Service gateway communities all over the country. Um, That is what I'm concerned about. I mean, you know, we are very far out here. We're pretty far removed. We're not going to end up like, you know, a bunch of touristy knickknack shops right on the edge of a big national park. It's not going to be like that. There's an absolute negative aspect of some of the development and tourism that has occurred on the doorsteps of, of national parks, which McCarthy has been sheltered from that from the sheer standpoint of how difficult it is to pull things off here, how far it is. But as access is improved, as infrastructure is improved, such as the vehicle bridge, such as being able to hire a fuel company to drive a big old propane truck into your yard and fill up your big old propane tank. You're not schlepping, you're not carrying 100-pound tanks back and forth yourself. Expectation shifted with the changing economy. You know, the people who hire us to build houses for them are expecting more of a professional bonded, licensed carpenter, not just like some backwards guys helping them build a cabin to get their feet on. You know, it's different. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. The price of land has gone up, which the unfortunate part about that is that, you know, it it sort of restricts the type of people that are able to move out here now. You know, it used to be you could buy a piece of land out here and it was pretty cheap and you could do what you want. And now it's like, you know, now I need two bridge passes. I need to pay for my Verizon phone. It's get you don't need to, but everyone is, so that's the competition level. And it used to be that you could have all the money you wanted, but you were still going to have to invest your own blood, sweat, and tears to make something actually come come about in McCarthy, and that's not the case anymore. Is that a bad thing? Well, not necessarily. Is it changing this place and the character of this place? Absolutely. The difficulties of pulling off life here and making life comfortable here is, in my mind, a very strong thread of the fabric of our community. And as things get easier and as you can now just pay for it and it will happen, that is not a common thread amongst everybody in this community any longer. And then people don't always wave. There's a lot more people that I don't know. I used to feel like I knew everybody, and that's certainly no longer the case. Just because more people and more people that come for a shorter amount of time or maybe have a summer home, it's not necessarily good or bad, it just is. Then came a reality television show and a whole lot of grumbling. It definitely changed like the economics of the town because people made a lot of money doing it ourselves included. Well, not me, but Greg, you know, we're partners, so myself included. I know people come out here because of the TV show. One thing that's changed is when I travel, and I say I live in Alaska, people start asking me about reality TV shows. I mean, that didn't used to happen. People are like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've seen that show. Oh, you live in that town. So they're kind of like familiar with this thing that they never would have been before. And it did create a little conflict in the community, I think. But you know, it's gone now. So. 
Well, I was involved in the reality TV show, and I don't think it's had any impact on the community. Um, I probably wouldn't have decided to be part of it if I'd have known it was reality TV at the beginning, but it was promoted to me as they were going to do a documentary on McCarthy. They were going to use me as a pilot, which was business. I was quickly disgusted by the reality TV part of it, by the time I got disgusted, I, I learned so much about the film industry and what it takes to put shows together that the learning and being part of it and the people that were here filming it, the film crew themselves, all good people that were fun and and they kept me doing things that I used to do that I wasn't doing very much anymore. Okay, so the reality television show didn't have a ton of impact, just added to the already growing tourism numbers. Businesses grew to meet the demand, two-story restaurant popped up in town, and with more tourism came more impact on the environment, which could mean less freedom in the future. Restrictions on snow machine use, trip limits, park regulations. And I hope that uh, other people have the same freedoms that I had as a young guy out here. Some of those things are becoming a little bit curtailed access into the park and things like that are becoming more it's starting to become a talk about there's a couple guidebooks out now there's websites there's gps coordinates there's airstrips being built or expanded and you're seeing trails now there didn't even used to be trails in the world now there's trails you go to like a semi-popular spot in this park and you're going to see guaranteed see other people used to be we'd see nobody you feel like you're the first ones there now there's tent sites there's fire rings there's impact there's feces um it's a big issue. And unfortunately, I've been working with the Park Service on their wilderness plan. Like, I mean, the way that changes things, all of a sudden you start to have regulation. You have to have group size limits and trip limits and all these things that out here, it's just been like, you just go. You don't ask permission. You don't pay. You just go. And I think that will change. And yet, some things haven't changed. The road is still 60 miles long and can be in terrible shape. Maintenance isn't consistent. That is a filter that's still there, and it prevents things from changing too quickly. Winters are still quiet. People still smile and wave. And life out here for most still comes with plenty of challenges. There's people here that continue that older way of life or blend old and new. And things are still a little bit janky. We don't have a real grocery store or fancy resorts or hotels. There's been a pretty long-standing sentiment that if the people that live here meet the needs, you know, you don't have to build out to draw a crowd. You just have to be prepared to deal with the people who show. And it's worked really well. It's kept our community small and non-corporate. You know, there aren't outside big megalithic tourism companies that operate here because the community that lives here are all vested in their community. You know, everyone that owns a business here essentially was here doing something before they started their business. You know, and they started their business to meet a demand. And it's not easy, even to this day. I mean, the businesses that provide services here go through extraordinary hoops to do what they do change has brought great food in the summer and an opportunity to share this place and this way of life with others. Also, more money for people to make a living so they don't have to leave if they don't want to. And advances like solar mean electricity 
without burning fossil fuels. Now people can continue to live here when they retire because there's more services and it's easier to come and go if they have health problems. In general, the lifestyles become more accessible. The changes have brought a group of seasonal young people, adventurers coming and going, bringing their thoughts from all over the world. And with that comes more culture. And really, the parking isn't that bad. The future could be incorporation. It's coming in time where there will be more infrastructure out here. And that infrastructure is going to bring more people. And with more people goes order and law and all these other things. It could be more crime. Usually what I've noticed in my life is like, you get money, you get development, you get trophy homes, you get nicer things. You create an underclass and all of a sudden you have theft and you have problems and things just kind of like, it turns into that. It could be less of a fabric binding different facets of the community or a loss of that awareness, a loss of freedom. It's too easy to get here. It's too easy to buy land here. It's too easy to hire people to build you a house. It's too easy to get fuel. You know, just turn on your iPad, you're here. There you go. I mean, and we, it's great. I mean, we have great people out here, great restaurants, great music, great hiking. I want everyone to hike on the glacier and see it. You know, they should. You know, ride your fat tire bike around, that's great. Bring your kids to softball, that's fine. Don't get mad when my dog bites them, but <laughs> you can do that. It's like, as a community, I wish we did more long-term planning because growth is inevitable. Change is inevitable. I would like to look forward into the future and say, what are the things that need to be preserved, you know? And how can we best do that without impinging or asking for paying taxes? Or it could just be progress, as it's been so far. A slow trickle. Busier summers, quiet winters, a life that's a bit easier but still provides an opportunity to live life your own way. There's still plenty of wilderness out there. I mean, I'm one of those people who'd love to, you know, lock the door behind me. I'm just that type of person. Um, but I also try to be open-minded. I appreciate the new opportunities that abound, but I'm happy with McCarthy where it is now. I don't really need it to develop more. Other people are very pro-development, and I... We've got it really good right now, and you're going to lose what you have. There will be more people moving out here, more people building big cabins that they only come out to once or twice a year as vacation homes. And, you know, the benefit of that is, like, me and my friends will be able to make money building those places. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I don't see it becoming, like, a Colorado mountain village, but best be ready for the change. I feel fine about it. I'm part of it. It means that I'll be able to probably make more of a comfortable living. Knowing that I'm a part of the change makes me feel a little better because I, I feel like I have a pretty solid and respectful attitude and vision about my role in that change. Um, I don't have the money to go bulldoze down whole forests, but uh, I won't be a vehicle for that. It's about being intentional, about not trying to hold back the tide, but shape it how it comes. Preserving that freedom for others as life moves forward. A lot of people, they try really hard to do the old, oh, it was better then, or 
gosh, back in the 90s. You should have been here in the 90s. You should have been here in the 80s. Oh, boy, the, it was so different in the 70s or whatever. And it's And I look at it with a feeling that the person who comes and moves here today is going to experience their own elation with the place fresh. And it's, and it start their journey starts today. Mine, I can definitely, you know, talk about it with a feeling of what has changed and how it's changed, but it doesn't take away and say, you should have been here such and such. Cause that was the time I was here. That was what I did. That's how I did it. But I like to give people that move here now that very idea that it's fresh enough for them to continue on. It's no such thing as the good old days, in other words. They don't exist. Because the person who moves here today is starting their good old days. Today. As for me, the snow is starting to drip and sounds are coming back. We're already at 14 hours of daylight. Soon, the river will break, and I'm feeling resentful, actually. But I'm trying to keep Malcolm's advice in mind. Take it as it comes. We're heading into a new season, a new journey towards summer, and who knows where that'll take me. You've been listening to Out Here, a podcast about life at the end of the road in McCarthy, Alaska. The entire seven episodes come from my own experiences and those of 18 residents of the McCarthy area. Trust me, there are so many more stories and perspectives. This is only a sliver of this place. You can listen to them all at www.outherepodcast.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on this journey with me. And a big thank you to all of those who agreed to be interviewed. In no particular order, Malcolm Vance, Mark Vale, Lori Rowland, Allie Towers, Scott Anthony, Ian Giori, Greg Runyon, Kristen Link, Greg Fensterman, Gary Green, John Adams, David Rowland, Hannah Rowland, Carol Morrison, Martin Morrison, Carla Freybalds, Tamara Harper, and Stevens Harper. Also, thank you to Galen Huckins and Blue Dot Sessions for the music, to YouTube for providing a few of the sound effects, <laughs> but not all of them, I promise. Uh, to Ian Giori for the artwork, to my University of Missouri Master's Committee Chair Scott Swafford and members Sarah Shariari and Dr. Christina Mislan, and the Duffy Fund for financial assistance. For Out Here, I'm Erin McKinstry. Till next time. <laughs>